Hey, thanks for joining us again here in a series we're doing called Family Matters, where we're looking at, you know, the idea of what does it mean to be the church? We started this series a couple of weeks ago with the idea that Jesus makes us one. And, and so really the notion behind that is that if Jesus makes us one, we don't get to do anything to try to counteract that. And so we study, what does it look like for us to be one? What does he actually call us into and then expect of us? Last week, we talked about love and that our love, uh, our act of goodwill towards others and our heartfelt affection towards others needs to grow and become more like his. And, and, and that that's a, it's like a lifelong thing that we pursue and build into and the steps we need to make towards that. And so that was love. And today I want to focus on this idea of maybe some of the fruit of that love. And I want to talk about uh, dealing with people that are difficult, people like you, like me, like we're difficult for somebody, like somebody out there somewhere finds us difficult. And they might find it difficult because of our actions, might find us difficult because of our attitudes. Maybe they just don't like us because <laughs> that can happen too. Um, but very specifically, what it looks like for us to become more and more like Jesus as it relates to topics like forgiveness giving allowance for each other, leaving grace towards one another as we interact. Because if there's anything that we love, it's grace. We love receiving it. I'm not sure we always love offering it. So if you got your Bibles with you, turn with me, Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to be reading verse 13, but actually I'm going to start with verse 12. So we'll read, um, well, we'll read verses 12 to 14. How's that? Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14. In the beginning of your Bible, there's a table of contents. People worked really hard to put it there. Just don't be ashamed to use it. We want you to become aware of where things are. Table of contents help with that. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14. Here's what they say. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then our, our passage for today, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. It's going to be a tough one today, folks. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together. And I pray, Lord, that as we're looking into your word, that we would find it to be both encouraging and challenging. Lord, it would cause us to desire to become more than just simply ourselves. And Lord, that we wouldn't just rest in what our comfort zones are. Lord, that we would press forward to become more and more like you. In your name I pray. Amen. Uh, so this might actually be one of the hardest one another's uh, kind of language that you would find in the scriptures. But forgiveness, uh, giving allowance for each other, giving grace towards each other is not only possible, but it's necessary in order for us to be the church that Christ has called us to. I mean, think about it this way. One of the greatest things that people appreciate about churches um, that I hear from them is that when they go into a church, they love going into places that they don't feel judged. Now, that immediately speaks to this in the sense that there's an allowance given for each other, right? Like that we're not expecting perfection, but we're helping drive each other towards godliness, right? But the judgmental piece not being there is something that people greatly appreciate. So it's, it's something that we 
enjoy, we want, we want the allowance for one another, but it's just not always easy to follow through on, right? Like um, when you talk about the topic of forgiveness, because often when we give allowance for each other, we have to forgive each other for things that uh, people offend us and they don't always do it on purpose, but it happens. When it comes to uh, forgiveness, like we like forgiveness when we benefit, right? Like we, we, we like it when it comes to our own failures, our own shortcomings. We like the idea of forgiveness at that point greatly. Like it's one of our favorite ideas at that point. I'm just so thankful for forgiveness. But I wonder, when we're the injured party, when we want revenge, not mercy, when we want uh, to see our own wrongs, or sorry, we, we tend to see our own wrongs as little mistakes, but other people's wrongs as great offenses, that have to be accounted for. Like at that point, are we equally thankful for forgiveness? For mercy? For um, giving allowance for each other? For grace? Now, there's something I can guarantee to you as it relates to the church. You're going to get hurt. That's a promise. Anytime, and it actually, it's not just, it's not just the church. Anywhere you go, family, work, social clubs, friendship groups, uh, school, uh, anywhere you go, you risk the potential of getting hurt by somebody. Somebody might say something in a tone that you didn't appreciate. They may make a joke that was hurtful. They may, you know, like whatever it is, something might happen. Somebody might unintentionally make you feel as though um, you were ignored or unacknowledged when maybe they had other things going on or maybe they truly tried to do that. Uh, Anywhere you go in life, no matter what arena of life you're in, somebody will hurt you. That's just the truth. It cannot be avoided. You will get hurt. And if you know me long enough, Rob Haslam, imperfect person, if you know me long enough, I'm likely going to hurt you somewhere along the line. I may not appreciate something that you appreciate. I may, I may say something flippantly but not in, and, and not intentionally, but I may hurt you. Uh, like my goal won't be to hurt you, but I'm, I'm likely going to hurt you in some way. And, hey, in the event that you're curious, you're going to hurt people too. Like you're not the object of this all the time. Sometimes we're the source of the hurt. Like, I'm going to hurt you, you're going to hurt me, uh, you're, you're going to be hurt by others, you're going to hurt others. I'm going to be hurt by others, I'm going to hurt others. Like, we, this is part of our human condition, our human expression. And so when we consider things this way, we can give allowance for each other. There can be grace given towards each other. Because we will let each other down. And, and even in that, if you're looking for a perfect church, I just want you to give up your search. You will not find a perfect church church. We're already a bunch of imperfect people. You can't get a whole bunch of sinning, imperfect people together and expect perfection. That's a logical fallacy. I mean, think about that for a second. I mean, one of the frustrations that people say to me, and I love it, it you know, they say things like, or, or it's popular for them to say, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. It's full of hypocrites. Yeah, of course it is. We're all hypocrites. And by the way, come on down because adding one more doesn't change it that much. One more won't hurt. You see, we're not perfect. And often when we evaluate things, we, we seem to unintentionally come at it from a self-righteous perspective, right? So when we need to offer forgiveness to somebody, we come from a self-righteous perspective. When we need to 
not always, but sometimes, right? Like, I would never do what they did. Okay, that's self-righteous, just in the event that you're wondering. Um, because we're all capable of all things, because we all have the same kind of sinful nature. Like, it can drive us with enough pouring into it to anything. Giving allowance for each other, giving uh, room for each other where, in such a way that we need to offer grace to each other. I mean, if we, if we elect not to offer grace, then I just want you to know that at that point, we are being self-righteous. That our grace is worth more than what this person's worth. We're being self-righteous at that point. And so we're not perfect. And so when we think about the church, the family of God, the kingdom of God, the, uh, the temple of God, when we think about these things and we think about it in, per, in lines of perfection being required of people in the church, and that's the measuring stick to determine whether or not we commit to the church, then we're asking people to commit to something that we have no hope of doing. And we hold a bar so high uh, that we don't give allowance for one another. And when we don't give allowance for one another, we cannot truly be people who express the kind of love and affection that we're called to express. So this is not the same as be perfect as I am perfect, you know, talking about Jesus, talking about the Lord. This is literally the idea of that day-to-day, every day, how do we live out our faith and people desiring perfection in others? And when perfection is not hit, they get hit with the term hypocrite. Okay, well, if that's the case, church is full of hypocrites. Come on in. There's room for more because we're all there. Now, I think it's important that when we're talking about the topic of forgiveness, because this delves quite strongly into it, that we are to be people who forgive one another, there are myths that come along with forgiveness that I think are important that we dispel. And to understand what forgiveness is, uh, I think we have to talk about a few things that it's not. So for example, uh, forgiveness is not just accepting someone's apology. It isn't. It's got to be more than that. It's not just accepting an apology. People may hurt you and they'll say, I'm sorry. Um, They may have no intention of changing how they treat you. Uh, True forgiveness may involve accepting someone else's apology, but it's much bigger. It's Uh, In everything the Bible says about forgiveness, the word apology, never used. I want you to think about that for a second. In everything that talks about forgiveness, the word apology between believers is never used. Now, you could say that it's assumed, right? When you confess your sin towards one another, some people could say that that's an act of uh, apology. Uh, The language of repenting, uh, people could say that it is uh, an act of apology in that sense, but the idea that somebody needed to initiate the forgiveness process with you, the offender needs to initiate the forgiveness process, uh, is not necessarily something that you'll find in the interpersonal relationships within the scriptures. You do find that uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins. Like we talk about that, right? Like it's an if-then statement. Um, but with each other, like we're to lead with forgiveness. We're to lead with forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't minimize our excuse or excuse sin. Okay, catch that? Forgiveness does not minimize or excuse sin. When God forgives our sin, He doesn't say, oh, that's okay, you're only human. And not what He says. 
Everyone does it. I understand. It was a really big, it wasn't really that big a deal. After all, I'm God, I can take it. This, this is not the language that the Lord uses with us. To him, sin is a massive deal. So big, so monumental that it separated us from him. So big, so monumental that his son had to die for it. So sin is a big deal and we don't minimize sin. Like that's not what forgiveness does. God says that our sin is an insult to His holiness. It's an act of rebellion. It's something so severe, and as we just mentioned, that it caused Christ to die for our sins. So God doesn't minimize our sin. In forgiveness, though, there's this acknowledgement that what was done was hurtful, but we're choosing to pursue relationship and reconciliation instead. That's what it's doing. It doesn't minimize it. It says, listen, this hurt. This was bad. This is not good. This should never happen again. This shouldn't have happened in the first place. But I'm not going to allow this to dictate our future. I'll still pursue relationship and reconciliation where possible. And forgiveness isn't the lessening of the pain with the passing of time. It's not what it is. Forgiveness isn't just the lessening of pain uh, with the passing of time. People say that time heals all wounds. It's actually not true. That is not true. It is true that pain of many hurts diminish over the passing of time. Like I, I can think of, you know, we know people who've lost loved ones. And the closer you are to the event of the loss of the loved one, it tends to hurt more there. The more life moves forward. It's not that their loss is any less significant, but the emotional attachment to the loss is not as, I don't want to say extreme, but it's not as present, it's not as acute as it was closer to the event of the loss. And so the idea that it diminishes over time, the pain of it, is true. That, that, that can be true. One day we swear we'll never talk to a person again, and a few months later we don't feel quite as hurt. So there's some of those things that are true. However, there's some hurts that don't diminish with time. There are some wounds that feel just as painful years later. And so I think it's important that we understand that forgiveness is not just waiting for the pain to disappear. And forgiveness is an active decision within the pain to recognize that the pain might still be present even years later. We think about people who experience abuse. Um, we think of people who experience some extreme forms of uh, betrayal, that kind of stuff. These, these are things that hurt for a long time. And, and time doesn't necessarily heal that wound in the same way that it heals other wounds, if that makes sense, or lessen the pain of the wound. Forgiveness isn't a feeling. That's a, a myth that forgiveness is a feeling is, is a ridiculous one to me. Uh, some people see forgiveness as an emotional state. They think it's something you do when you feel like it. However, it's not based on feelings. It's not deciding to be friends again just because you no longer feel like being mad at them. And others don't think they can forgive because they don't feel like forgiving. Listen, forgiveness can't wait for the feeling to lead the way. Forgiveness cannot wait for the feelings to lead the way. There has to be at some point be an active decision towards it. And here's the secret though. Although we may not feel like forgiving... When we're called upon to forgive, nothing will heal our hearts like forgiveness does. Like we may not always feel like forgiving, but when we do, there is, for a lot of people, for the majority of situations, there's a sense of release when we choose to forgive. 
And so without forgiveness, bitter and angry emotions will poison us. And they rob us of joy and they shut down the flow of love through our hearts. And that heartfelt affection that we're to have towards one another just gets colder and colder the more unforgiving we become. Nothing opens the door to emotional healing like forgiving someone. That's the myths of forgiveness. So, so we need to understand that we take hold of these things and we move forward in them. And, and people can have all kinds of opinions on the topic that they want, but there are certain truths that I think are important for us to acknowledge. And forgiveness truth, and understanding what forgiveness is not, we have to then begin to understand what it is. It's a decision, an active choice that we make. It's an act of faith. We won't want or feel like forgiving. It's not our natural disposition when we've been wounded in some way. But we trust that Jesus can not only heal our relationship, He can heal our hearts. So to forgive is to pursue a relationship. It is to love someone anyway. It is to go on with someone and not allow what happened to define the relationship. Now, you might say something to the effect of, well, Rob, that's, I don't believe you. I don't think that's what forgiveness looks like. Okay? The ultimate example we have of forgiveness is Jesus. We offend Jesus on a regular basis. Sometimes we do it just in our heads. Sometimes we do it with our actions. Sometimes we do it with how we treat people. Uh, and sometimes we do it with, with how we treat Him. Okay? So when Jesus forgives us, does He continue to treat us like the person that wounded Him? Or does he walk forward into this incredible relationship that he wants with us all along? You see, forgiveness based on you and me is flawed. Forgiveness based on Jesus is impeccable. We need a better definition. We need a better model. And it needs to be Jesus for the believer. Now, here's what we need to understand then. The truth about forgiveness. Are you ready? This is, this is critically important. This is part of our love. This is why I say that forgiveness is a fruit of love. Um, because if love is the, in terms of agape love, if, if agape love is the active uh, benefit towards someone, right? Like the active pursuit of their good, their act, like the act of goodwill. And if filial love is heartfelt affection, then what we understand about forgiveness is that forgiveness is a gift. Forgiveness is a gift that we offer. The very root of the word that Paul uses to forgive here is the word gift. That's what it means. It's the same word that is used at the heart of the word, ready? Grace. I mean, that's how interconnected these are. Forgiveness is not deserved by whoever hurt you. It's not deserved. It's not earned. Forgiveness is not deserved by whoever hurt you. It is a gift. So we don't dispense it based on their worthiness, but it's based on the fact that God forgave us. Like, did you hear what Paul says here in verse 13? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Man, I wasn't worthy of that forgiveness. And, I mean, I like you, I think you're amazing, and I love you, but you know what? You weren't worthy of that forgiveness either. So if forgiveness is based on the worthiness of the person being forgiven, nobody can be forgiven. Nobody. The basis of forgiveness is how much God forgave you. Now hear me on this. This is so critical. 
You cannot outforgive God. You cannot forgive anyone else more than God has forgiven you. It is not possible. Paul asks us to forgive as God forgives. But in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus actually tells us that we'll forgive others the way we, that he will forgive, sorry, Jesus actually tells us to forgive others as, or forgive us as we have forgiven others. Sorry, I'm just tripping on my words there for a second. He actually tells us in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, forgive us as we forgive others. You know the words, forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Okay. Do we mean it? Right? Because we, we've, we've attached those two, right? Do we mean it? Imagine if God forgave us the way we forgive others. Like imagine that he withheld his blessing on us. Imagine that he would always keep his presence from us, right? Like, like if we forgave a person, like I know people who will say, like, I'm not going to forgive them. I want nothing to do with them. I'm not going to be in their presence, nothing. I'm going to avoid them at all costs. Okay, imagine if God forgave you that way. Imagine that he would have nothing to do with us. Imagine that he would constantly remind us of every single time we hurt him. Imagine that you just got done with prayer in which you confessed some sin and God said, I forgive you, but I can never be close to you again. See, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us something about the act of love and how it relates to forgiveness. And it says it this way. It says, love keeps no record of wrongs. And so the wrongs that took place, the idea of not keeping record of wrongs is the, is the notion that you are no longer accountable to these things. You have been forgiven for these things. I love you. These things will no longer define you. You're forgiven. If God forgave us the way we forgive others, we would have no hope. Now, it's important for us to note, I am not suggesting to you that you consistently give other people opportunity to wound you knowingly. It's not what I'm talking about. Again, we're talking about the concept of forgiveness as it relates to how do we forgive others? How do we give allowance for each other? How do we be the church together, recognizing we're going to hurt one another, but also at the same time recognizing for the vast majority of us, it's not a strong desire to actually hurt each other. And so let's, let's be clear that we're not talking about some extreme type scenarios within this. But in order to know what it means to live a life of forgiveness, you first off, we need to understand that, that God loves you. He loves us. And He has chosen us as His own special people. In verse 12, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, uh, in the passage here, He actually says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and Patience. And it's this idea, the idea of clothing ourselves, it's this idea of enveloping ourselves with some new clothes. And Paul is not talking about a physical outfit here. He uses this metaphor to contrast the believer's life now and how they live before coming to Jesus. Like back in verse 5, it says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Right, we got a lot of stuff that belong to our earthly nature. But he goes ahead and he he lists. It's not an exhaustive list, but he he lists a few things here. And he says, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. 
And Paul reminds the Colossian believers, he reminds you and me that we used to walk in these ways, verse 7, we used to walk in these ways uh, in the life we once lived, but now you must rid yourself of such things like, like, and he goes on, he's got more of a list, he says, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. He talks, he talks about in verse 9, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on a new self which is being renewed in knowledge, the image of its creator. So Paul uses the image of clothing to emphasize the change of life, to focus and the, the change of life, the focus and the direction of the believer. If you've truly submitted yourself to the Lordship of Jesus in your life, then you are called to gladly wear the wardrobe that he's picked for you. And so why would you wear them? Because you've been chosen by God. Why has God chosen the believers? With Deuteronomy uh, chapter 7, verse 7 and 8, Moses reminded the people as to why they were chosen by God. He says this, The Lord did not set His affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of the peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath He swore to your ancestors that He brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. It is not because of anything that you and I have done that earned anything that we should feel that we deserve. We are chosen simply because God loves us. And that is amazing. 1 Peter 2.9 and we read this last week in, in our message on love. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Right? And so here's the example here, even in Colossians, where it says, look, this is how you were. This is the clothing that you to wear now. The old clothes, not good. Get rid of them. Don't have anything to do with it anymore. Put on these new clothes because you've got something better in store. God has chosen you to be part of His team, and He doesn't make mistakes. He chose you because He saw you, and He wanted you. And the purpose of our choosing was to be holy, to be set apart for a special purpose is the intention of the language there. People who are set apart for special purposes live differently from the rest of the people around them. So our love is different. Our affections are different. Our grace, mercy, forgiveness, kindness are different. They live pure lives. And if you want to reach a place that God has for you, then you got to dress differently. we gotta, we got to wear the uniform that He chooses. We got to dress differently. He saw something that he wanted us to be a part of. And as a believer, you and I have been chosen by God to be holy because he loves us. And in addition to being chosen and set apart, it says that we are dearly loved by God. God loves you. And before you can understand the power of forgiveness, we need to get the fact that the God's that God's love for us was the impetus of his forgiveness. And since God chose us to be this holy people that He loves, we are to reflect His character. Verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And the opposite of this would be 
cold and heartless. It would be somebody who would be concerned only with themselves and their own issues and, and not really being considered about other people. A compassionate person is someone who wants to help the people around them. And kindness, and kindness, it, it doesn't include just saying nice things, but doing nice things. It's going above and, and beyond the call of duty like to help someone out, the active good will. Humility is, is this idea that we recognize our own weaknesses. And this is, I think this is probably the best place to start, as, or, or one of the best places to start as we consider what it looks like to offer grace to somebody. Because we recognize our own weaknesses. We don't think about how great we are because if we did try, we'd probably come up short. The idea of meekness or gentleness, uh, as translated in the NIV, is opposite the idea of like road rage. Gentleness is the opposite of the person who is ranting and raving at the customer service desk because they're not getting what they want or they're not serving them in the way they desire to be served. And patience, the Greek word here, contains the idea of being patient in unpleasant circumstances. Patience is not just waiting, but it is this, this idea of, of having this sense of God's peace within the midst of unpleasant circumstances like this. It's almost this supernatural gifting that we have in the midst of something difficult. And no matter what the circumstance we're in, our patience with, we're, like we're patient with people around us, even in difficult circumstances. Like think about that for a moment. Is that the clothing we're wearing? Like we're called to show his character and then in showing his character, right? So here's the idea. We're called out people. We're given these new clothes. We're to show his character. And then he says, forgiveness? Yeah, that whole thing, that's a big deal. What does the Bible mean when it says forgiveness, right? Because he goes on here. Like Paul says, bear with one another and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And so he's leading them along and he's saying, listen, you're a called out people. This is how you were. You're not that anymore. You got to be something different. Here are these new clothes, this character attributes I want you to start following. And, and forgive. Here's what it means to forgive. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father may not forgive your sins. Here's what's important to understand there. In that passage, when we say, now track with me on this, okay? When we say, I get that the Lord forgives you, but I don't forgive you. What we've just said there is that the value of the forgiveness is that my forgiveness is higher because it, it's harder for them to get it than it is for them to get God's forgiveness. So the value of my forgiveness is higher. That's what we're doing in that, in that passage there. In Matthew 18, 21 and 22, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, seven was a perfect number. And so he's saying, like he's already going above and beyond. But then Jesus answers, he tells you not seven times, but 77 times. And then he follows it up with the parable of the ungrateful servant. And he says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Like forgiveness is immense in the scriptures. Mark eleven twenty five. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, 
forgive them, listen, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. So it's like you're, if you hold unforgiveness towards somebody, if I hold unforgiveness towards somebody, like it creates a barrier between my forgiveness from the Father. Luke 17, 3-4, So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. This is what Jesus says. Ephesians 4.32, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ God forgave you. And this command again, repeated by Paul in Colossians 3.13, Bear one with one another, forgive. So people who refuse to forgive hurt themselves. Bitter people, they're just not fun to be around. Bitter people are the people who are constantly complaining about everybody else. They're constantly measuring everybody else by a stick of perfection that they themselves don't reach. And they want something from people. They, they, some of them have difficulty sleeping. They develop ulcers, high blood pressure, all these different kinds of things. They see the negative in every situation because their life is polluted by their feelings of resentment and anger. And people who are unwilling to forgive may feel like they're punishing the person that they're not forgiving. Now, the only one that's actually getting punished here is the person who is doing the unforgiving. They're paying the price themselves. And you might say, you know what, Rob? You, you just don't know. You don't know what I experienced. You don't know how I've been hurt. I don't want to forgive. I want to strike back. I want, I want justice. I, I want the other person to know the pain they inflicted on me. And, and if I can't have justice, I will never have a relationship with that person again. Look, I am not saying you haven't been hurt. That is... That is not what I'm saying. I wouldn't want you to think that I don't care about whatever it is that you've experienced, because I do. But the truth is, like forgiveness isn't easy. Bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you have, you may have against one another. Look, a grievance is a legitimate reason to be upset with someone. I'm sure that we could all come up with a list of legitimate reasons that we would have to be upset with people. Like, like the scripture just gives us an alternative way to live. Look, here's what I can tell you. And this is, I think, is a, is a, is a beautiful illustration or, or example of this. We understand that God is a God of love, but God is also a God of justice. And we're creating the image of God. And so we have the capacity to love, but we also have a deep, deep intrinsic desire for justice. And so when we see somebody wrong somebody or where we are wronged by somebody, we want to see justice. And that's perfectly natural. And it's good and it can be godly. But here's the truth. We're not perfect. We have a sin nature. And so our justice gets twisted by our sin nature, by some of the lies that we'll internalize from the evil one regarding whatever it is that's taking place. And so where we may desire something good, we very likely often don't have the capacity to follow through on it in a good way. 
Look, forgiveness isn't easy. We have reasons to be upset with people that are legitimate. But we are called to give allowance for each other. It's actually the idea of put up with each other and to give forgiveness to each other if anyone's done any wrong. So what does it mean to forgive a person then? Well, it, it releases us physically and emotionally and it also releases us spiritually. One of the greatest barriers to an effective prayer and spiritual vitality within a person's life is, is an unforgiving heart. You know, anyone that I know that has an unforgiving heart actually uh, communicates that they feel distant from God. And I think it's actually one of the reasons is because uh, when we are unforgiving, we are not like God. And so then we don't connect. Like we're, we're, we're moving in the opposite direction. And unwillingness to forgive disrupts our fellowship with God. It steals from us the joy of knowing His forgiveness in our lives. And so we've got to forgive quickly and completely like God does. Now again, understanding that there are processes to the emotions attached to the, the woundedness. But the forgiveness piece is a decision. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others, he says. In verse 13, Jesus could have many grievances against us. I'm not trying to over-spiritualize this. I just want to state the facts. And Jesus could have a lot of grievances against us. All the things that Jesus wants us to do, and we don't do them. All the things that he doesn't want us to do, and we do them. But Jesus' forgiveness or he forgives whatever grievance he has against us. Like he keeps no record of wrongs. He holds no grudges. It's as though, to some extent, relationally, it just never happened. No grudges. Nothing dividing us. He doesn't hold it to our account. That's how Jesus forgives us, and that's how Jesus wants us to forgive the people around us. So I'm going to hurt you. You're going to hurt me. Let's not allow that to dictate the terms of the relationship whether or not there is one. Like you're going to have legitimate reasons to be upset with people sometimes, but forgive, Jesus says. Forgive the way I have forgiven you, he says. Completely wipe that grievance out of the person's account and don't hold any grudges. You still got to walk through the process of the emotion. When there's a grievance, there's often a hurt. And hurt needs to be processed, and that's okay. That's okay. But we got to forgive like Jesus. We've got to forgive like Jesus. To truly forgive someone, I, I would suggest to you that there's four promises that come along with it. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4 to 7, talking about love. It says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And so I think that there's some, there's some things to internalize as it relates to it. And this is a process I had to go through even in my own life and the hurts that I've experienced in life. But how about this? I choose not to dwell on the incident. 
Like if I truly want to be able to forgive somebody, right? If I want to come to a com- complete place of being able to forgive them, I can't dwell on the incident because whatever it is that has my attention has my direction. And so if my attention is solely on the incident, like how am I ever going to overcome that hurdle? How am I ever going to be able to walk forward towards something else? How am I ever going to be able to allow that person to be defined by anything other than that incident? There's got to be more to who they are than what they did. I can't dwell on the incident. It doesn't mean that I don't consider it. I don't dwell on it. I I don't want to, uh, I I would make this promise as it relates to forgiveness that not only will I not dwell on the incident, I will not harm you for this incident. You catch that? Like I'm not going to seek retribution. You did this to me, so I will do this to you. No. That's childish. We don't do that. So I will not seek to harm somebody because of the incident. I will not bring up this incident again in order to hurt. I will not bring the incident up again in order to rub your nose in it, anything else like that. It's a practice to get into. I will not allow the incident, you ready? To stand between us. I will not allow the incident to stand between us. Look, relationships don't thrive because the guilty are punished. They thrive because the innocent are merciful. You catch that? Relationships do not thrive because the guilty are punished. They thrive because the innocent are merciful. Our relationship with Jesus thrives because Jesus is merciful. Not because I'm punished. Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. There's the call. We've got to give allowance for each other. We're difficult. We're going to hurt each other. That's going to happen. And, and where there are extreme situations, we, we've... The scripture speaks into that as well, and we've got different conversations we can have about that. But as a general rule of thumb, as a a way of operating within the body of believers, we are a forgiving people. And if there's a grievance against anyone, that we would forgive that grievance. It does not define the relationship. If somebody sins against us, we go to them, we deal with it, and they repent, we move forward together. And then we make these promises in that I'm not going to dwell on this. I'm not going to harm you for it. I'm not going to bring this up to rub your nose in it. And I am not going to allow this incident to stand between us. That's what we do. So pick your grievance. What grievance do you have against somebody? You know what it's doing to you. You know that it's drawing your heart to get colder and colder towards them. And if your heart is colder and colder towards them, then it's not warming up in the sense that Jesus calls us to love our enemies. Remember, love God, love your neighbor as yourself, and love your enemies. Everyone is supposed to experience love from us. And so when our hearts are growing cold towards the people that we feel have hurt us, we're needing to adapt. Something in us needs to grow. We need heartfelt affection. And we need this active movement towards them. Forgive. Give grace to each other. We offer mercy to each other. 
And in doing so, we also then, like, you offer it and you'll receive it, right? Like, that's the principle. And if that's, in fact, the principle, then there wouldn't be judgmentalism. There wouldn't be rejection of people. It would literally be an environment where we recognize, yeah, you know what? We messed this up. Let's fix this. That's it. That's what it becomes. We messed it up. Let's fix it. So here's the truth. I'm difficult. You're difficult. We're called to give allowance for each other. We're called to forgive. So you know what? Let's do it. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on me, live at peace with everyone, not just the ones we like. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together. And I thank you that you know, your, your word, it just challenges us to become something more. And so, Lord God, would you help us to be a people who would just uh, deep dive into your word to learn what these things truly mean, how they apply within our lives so that we can move in the direction of being more and more like you. You've chosen us. You love us. You're, you're not judging us based on our past. You've given us a new character, attributes to pursue. You ask us, you tell us, you demand of us that we are to be forgiving of each other and that our forgiveness from you is connected to our forgiveness of each other. And so, Lord God, would we be a forgiving people? And as far as we're able, Lord, that we would live at peace with everyone. In your name I pray. Amen.